Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. How's it, everybody? Welcome back to another special episode of the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lee Kwai. And I'm DJ. We are continuing our Strixhaven coverage. Um, there's, I think we're in the middle of it now. There's a lot. We've got to do whatever remains of the budget upgrade videos. We've got to look at the cards in the 99. There's the commander product. We haven't even really started talking about as far as the individual cards. So much cool stuff to break down. And today we're going to take a look at all of the legendary commanders that are not MDF commanders. Yeah. We're calling them the traditional commanders. Um, these are the ones that only have uh, one face, like they have the magic back on Josh, one side and the regular. On these the are very traditional commanders because we have elder dragons. Yes. Another full <laughs> cycle of them. Uh, it's pretty exciting and a lot of them are very cool. So we're definitely going to break down. And uh, this is from the main set, not the commander set. I want to be clear about that. We're going to break down all the new non-MDFC legendary creatures that can be the generals for your commander decks. But before we get into it, we got to talk about our sponsors real quick. You're going to want to pick up these cards. And right now is a great time to go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone to order your Strixhaven stuff. You want, uh, you know, booster boxes, maybe set boosters. Maybe you want to pick up um, the commander product, the pre-cons. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. Uh, You're going to want some good looking, like... Yeah, we awesome got one of the showcase, showcase. showcase art. There's some cool art. There's collector boosters. There's all the normal yeah. stuff. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone is the place to order all your magic cards, products, singles, anything at all. You know you're going to get that stuff anyway. You may as well just use our affiliate link when you do so you are simultaneously helping out the content that you enjoy. And then once you get your hands on that stuff, you really want to keep it in good condition. We've actually got some of the sleeves here you can see for the Elder Dragons. Um, Ultra Pro put out... Ultra Pro always has the licensing agreements for like the cool art from every single set. So you can really theme out, you know, this one's Shadrick's Silver Quill. And if you build that deck, it's really cool to have your, you know, your deck box and your sleeves and everything be themed like that. Uh, what do you got in front of you Look here? Look at this conductor right here. Yeah. Are so you kidding got, me? Look at this blind rat. So you've it's got so Zaphi cool. from the Prismari Precon. Ultra Pro has, yeah, a bunch of the Commander product on Playmats. Also has uh, other things from the main set. So Ultra Pro really does make the best stuff to protect your stuff. And also just the coolest looking stuff. If you want your battlefield to look awesome, make sure you use Ultra Pro products. And the final way to support all of our content is directly. If you get a patreon.com slash command zone. There's all kinds of cool cool perks. Uh, one is our Discord, which we are on all the time. DJ's on there uh, often as well, answering questions, interacting with our community. It's a pretty big, big community on and the Discord, And they're too. brewing on there. Yeah. Like, they are actively brewing. So if you're thinking about, like, oh, I got some cool ideas to build this commander, hop in on Discord, and then there's going to be a flood of ideas that you can build the best deck possible. Yeah, we have a lot of really experienced veteran commander players in our Discord, and a lot of community members, too. Kyle Hill's in there all the time, a lot of members of our team. Uh, you can talk to them, ask questions, but there's also just a lot of really cool discussion about cards and all the time I look in there and I'm like, oh, I never thought of that card for that deck, uh, which is cool because then I could talk about it on the podcast and sound smart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, and, and also, patrons get one other perk, which is that we shout out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to Evan Limburger. Evan, you rock. Thanks, Evan. Okay, let's get into it here. The Strixhaven Traditional Commanders. Again, we're only covering... The commanders from the main Strixhaven set that don't have two sides. That's right. If you want to see the ones with two sides, the MDF commanders, that video is already out. So 
look in the command zone YouTube channel or go to your podcast and listen to that because Jimmy and I break down all those two-faced commanders. They're cool too. Yeah, that is episode 387. All right. Well, there's only one monocolored commander, which is a little bit weird, uh, traditional commander, I suppose, in <laughs> in the whole set. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not counting the commander product where there are some, but yeah, it. I mean, I'm glad that it's in white. I mean, this is this is a set built around the schools, built around the the, the factions. Not guilds, the factions. There we yeah. go. And so, I think that you want it to be multicolored. You want silver quill and quandrix and stuff like that. And I think that the the monocolored things they did, they did the deans where it's mono on one side and the other. I think that was a really cool design space. Um, but but this one stands out, right? It's just like the one monocolored legendary. Yeah. So you want to you want to read it? Sure. Uh, we have Mavinda. Student's Advocate. Uh, it is a bird advisor, and he's looking like he's giving some good advice, right? Yes, actually. <laughs> got his, yeah, got his he's mentor got his cap hand on. He's got his in his wing around someone like Shepard. Here, let, let me, I, I really like this card. So it's two and a white for a 2-3 legendary bird advisor with flying. You can pay zero, and you may cast target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard this turn. If that spell doesn't target a creature you control, it costs eight more to cast this way. If that spell would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead, activate this only once each turn. So it's once a turn, you can cast an instant or sorcery spell just from your graveyard. You have to pay for it. But if it targets one of your things, you just get to do it. Right. If it target, if it's any other instant or sorcery, does not target your stuff, you're paying an additional eight. So realistically, you're not even ever going to do that. It almost could say... Do you want a 12 mana Wrath of God? Yeah, not really. <laughs> it almost could say, uh, you know, you can only do it if it targets a creature you control. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting like a nine that, mana Swords to Poshers on, yeah. their, on their creatures. I, I mean, you might do it. It might come up. Sure, sure. I mean, like if there's a blight steal and that's your only way to handle it or something, sure. But but realistically, this deck probably is going to play, you know, almost all stuff that targets its own creatures in some way to get advantage out of Mavinda. It reminds me a little bit of Kess, Dissonant Mage. Yeah. Uh, Kess is more open-ended in that you can do any instant or sorcery. But Mavinda has this interesting thing where you can do this on once each turn. Mm -hmm. Kess is only during your turn, right? So you can't... It's, I can do. I can play an instant or sorcery out of my graveyard that targets one of my own creatures on my turn, then DJ's turn, then Jimmy's turn, then Megan's turn. That's pretty powerful. So you are going to want to prioritize instants in this kind of thing so you can take advantage of it on multiple turns. Uh, the cards do get exiled, though, so you're going to need to have a critical mass of like churn through spells because you cast it regularly and then you recast it with your commander and then it gets exiled. So getting double value out of spells is good, but you're still going to need a lot of cardboard going to your graveyard so that you can keep activating this ability. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think it, the thing you said about instants, like I think you're going to want almost all instants. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because a sorcerer is just not going to be as flexible. You're not going to be able to use it on other players' turns. Blink and Flicker seem kind of good in that if you can, you're probably going to have a lot of creatures in here that want to be blinked or flickered. But also, if you blink or flicker Mavinda, you can then activate it again. I guess, though, if you're using the blink flicker. Hopefully it blinks or flickers two things. Or, for example, a card like Ephemerate, yeah. where it blinks it and flickers it, but then Ephemerate's coming back again for a rebound next turn. Right. So so then you're kind of getting uh, double value and not just only flickering your commander. Well, you can think of Ephemerate also in your hand as like another copy of a card in your graveyard, right? Because you can be like, um, activate Mavinda's ability, 
cast an instant sorcery out of my graveyard, ephemerate out of my hand, mm -hmm. it comes back into play. Now I can do that again on the same turn for another card that's in my graveyard. And now ephemerate's going to do that again on my next turn. So that's actually quite a bit of value. I think probably worth it. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, there isn't like a lot of ways to just dump stuff into your graveyard in white. We see that a lot more in other colors. Uh, but I like the idea of playing with instants and sorceries. I, you know what? We've seen that before in feather decks. Yes. I mean, feather, this is just a slam dunk inclusion uh, in that deck. It's amazing. But feather has a fun play style of casting those instant sorceries and getting advantage. So I can see this kind of tapping into that play style and being just another kind of angle for that. Yeah, there's a lot of good protection spells that are instants. They only cost one mana, you know, sheltering light, God's, yeah. God's willing. This allows you to protect your commander. And because you can do that once each turn, you can kind of always hold them up. Yeah, so sheltering light is one white mana for an instant. Target creature gains indestructible until end of turn. Scry one. If you always have indestructible up at all times, like you're going to have a really good uh, board state to protect. And, you know, the funny thing about that is it's known it's it's known to the entire table and the and and one of the upsides of of knowledge that the table has is they won't actually go to make you use it most of the time so yeah. if they have like a doomblade or a murder or something like that they're not going to target your commander with it unless you tap out. So if you just never tap out, you'll actually never have to use that card out of your graveyard. That's that's tends to be how it plays out. It's the same political approach that we've used to counterspells. When they know yeah. you have a counterspell, people don't just want to be the one that burns their their card. So instead, they play differently. I think Mavinda has a lot of potential to help white with card draw because cantrips will be so good. Uh, as long as they target your creature, if it's like one mana or even sometimes two mana, but it draws a card, this means that for two mana, you get to draw two cards. And that's actually like a really good rate. Yeah. I White would love that rate. Blue would even like that rate, right? Yeah. Like we're used to more than one mana per card. Now, usually the downside is you play a cantrip and you burned a card and got one card back. So you're not actually up cards. But two mana for two cards and using one card of your hand is like a better divination. And so... Yeah, all the, and there's a bunch of one mana white cantrips. Again, these are mostly in feather decks. You've seen them before. Um, yeah, just defiant strike, one white mana, target creature gets plus one plus oh until end of turn, draw a card. Suddenly this turns into, like Josh said, white, white, draw two cards, plus two plus oh. Yep. And, Done. And Done. again, you that. can hold your sheltering light open and on the end step before you turn, when it looks clear, you can be like, okay, well, it looks clear. I'm going to defiant strike now and just draw that extra card. There's also uh, bandage, Nivius Wisps. Oblation is a card that could possibly work as card draw if you had some... Uh, uh, expendable creatures lying around because it does target a creature you control and let you draw two cards. You can also use it as a removal against I your like, opponents. I like Oblation too because you can get rid of a creature across the board when you cast it from your hand. Yeah. And then when you're flashing, flashing it back, not really, but yeah. <laughs> uh, then you can just use it as card draw, you know, so it's kind of got those two modes on it. Yep. Um, speaking of card draw, a Johnny's Influence, this is the white card draw that, that we're looking for. Two white white for a sorcery, put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. So it does target a creature, but it has this whole other text. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a white card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So this goes five deep. It's it's pretty, uh, it gives you a lot of it's card, card selection. selection. plus card draw, yeah. yeah. And if you do that twice, you're actually getting card advantage out of it. Uh, I think this deck probably, like, you need stuff to target. Like, you have this clause that basically says, hey, most of your instances and sorceries, and you're going to want a lot of them to take advantage of Mavinda, are going to want to target creatures you control. 
So I think naturally pairing that with creatures that want to be targeted mm -hmm. makes sense. So, you know, some that kind of jump to mind are Monastery Mentor, which makes... Um, Prowessy Monks? Yeah, Those one one was Prowess Monks, which will be really good because they'll grow as you cast instants and sorceries as well. And also stuff with Heroic, maybe like Phalanx Leader, uh, Phalanx Leader. I don't know how you say that word. Yeah. Phalanx or Phalanx? Phalanx. Phalanx. Jeez, there's a third way. <laughs> uh, anyway, when it gets targeted by um, a spell, then you put a 1-1 one -one counter on all creatures you control. So that's a way. Maybe you got a little bit of a go-wide heroic um, prowess strategy I And mean, then we also here. have Magecraft in the set. Good point. You know, there's a there's a two-drop that has Magecraft that gives every one of your creatures plus one, plus one until end of turn. You know, so we can see this kind of uh, working out a little bit. Yeah, I can see it being, yeah. being quite you know, powerful and explosive as like suddenly you go play a couple spells from my hand, play one from my graveyard, maybe uh, blink my Mavin to do it again. And now all of a sudden I've cast four spells that targets things. They all, I made a bunch of tokens. They all get bigger and swing for the wind. So I think it's interesting that there are, are different spells that target that we wouldn't necessarily expect like that. Uh, you know, that a Johnny's influence that happens to give a plus one, plus one counter, but really we care about that card selection. Uh, a board wipe like fell the mighty is four and a white for a sorcery, destroy all creatures with power greater than target creatures power. So it does Good. target a creature. There's a board wipe. You can flash back. Exactly. And not, pay 12 mana for <laughs> and it's good because um you can target like that's a targeted board wipe that could be one-sided or somewhat one-sided yeah especially when your commander's two power yeah exactly you know you can keep your commander around keep and all then, the little stuff exactly all your little tokens your your prowess monks and everything like that yeah i don't know if mavinda changes the dynamic as far as like it doesn't make white as a color uh, stronger, but it is definitely, I think, could be a cool deck. Yeah, I think it takes you down an angle where it kind of enhances a lot of cards that we wouldn't normally play, which, which is, is fun, fun yeah. which is fun, but not necessarily powerful. Yeah, it, it doesn't change the paradigm for the whole color. Does it? I mean, it, it makes Feather more powerful, though, right? I think it makes Feather a little more powerful, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. a good card in Feather, for sure. All right, there is a cycle um, of uncommon legends uh, in the main set, one for each faction each college uh big surprise there so we're gonna go through all of them the first one is the wither bloom which is what we would formerly have called golgari it's green black dina soul steeper she's a green and black so two mana for a one three legendary dryad druid whenever you gain life each opponent loses one life and then you can pay one and sacrifice another creature and dina gets plus x plus o until end of turn where x is the sacrificed creature's power so let's split these up a little bit whenever you gain life each opponent loses one life this doesn't care how much life you've gained it cares about separate instances of gaining life so if you have a single effect that says you gain 10 life each opponent would still only lose one life uh, so what you really want with dina is incremental little bits of life gain that happen over and over um, and then I guess the sacrifice another creature and she gets plus X plus O is pretty self-explanatory. It's really weird because you wouldn't think about her being sort of a attacking type uh, yeah. commander, but you know, there, there it is. <laughs> I mean, it is a threat of activation. So you can attack with Dina, have creatures to sacrifice. They know you could do it at instant speed and does make her a little bit harder to block. Although you also have to worry about commander damage. If, if, uh, she's the commander, in which case they might be more likely to block to not take the commander damage. So I don't know. It not is, the commander is, damage ever actually matters. Yeah, it is nice to just have a sacrifice outlet sometimes. Yeah. You, you know, uh, there's, there's, we talk about having sacrifice outlets, uh, giving you a lot more utility than you would think. And so this is not just uh, flavor text. This is something that can come up and can work for your advantage. 
Okay, so the card that every single person I'm sure thinks of when they see Dina, if they've played uh, Commander for very long, is, of course, Exquisite Blood. So anytime an opponent loses life, you gain life. And yes, that will create an infinite combo, uh, which will kill everyone, because each of those gaining of lives is a separate trigger that then triggers Dina, that then triggers the Exquisite Blood. Uh, this is a c combo, <laughs> a tale as old as time, yes. as they say. So yada, 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 yes, that is a thing you can do. Um, and you're in black, so you can probably tutor up. Uh, also, Aristocrats naturally comes to mind because Dina does have the sacrifice outlet built in for only one mana. So Blood Artist, Zulaport, Cutthroat. Um, okay. And they'll, they usually gain you life too, so it can trigger the other side. So Sacrifice Outlet, you know, enhances it. Yeah, with you know. Blood Artist or Zulaport, you're actually doing twice as much damage, basically, because they do both gain you the life and then it triggers Dina. All right. Things we have to mention, they're pretty obvious, though. I, I, I think this actually might make a bunch of these... Black has all these little incremental life gain cards. Yeah, you've seen them in like Karlov decks. In yeah. the past, Karlov is black and white, but it gets plus one, plus one counters every time for those in individual instances life. of life gain. Uh, and so I think that there are a lot of cards in black that will give you just like one life here, one life there. And, and they can kind of happen every turn. Or yeah, and you can just kind of like nickel and dime your opponents uh, and end up doing a lot more damage than you think. It's, it's a really sneaky way of dealing damage too because, you know, one life here, one life there. It doesn't feel like a lot. You know, we fetch and shock all the time, but it really does add up, especially when your deck starts working and getting these engines going so that you're always draining your opponents. Yeah, so there's cards like Ill-Gotten Inheritance, which basically drains everybody for one every turn, which would be two because of Dina. There's Retreat to Hagra that every time you play a land, you could do this. Uh, Revenge of Ravens is an interesting one. I like Revenge of Ravens. Three and a black for an enchantment. Whenever a creature attacks you or Planeswalker, you control that creature's controller loses one life and you gain one life. Um, and that's for every creature attacking you. Exactly. So all the ones that you mentioned, like it's like clockwork, it happens once a turn. You know, there's actually quite a few effects out there that do that. But Revenge of Ravens has the potential to really trigger this a bunch of times. Uh, and it's just a deterrent because your opponents just won't really attack you that much. You also could get in situations where they want to attack you with a couple creatures to do damage to one of their opponents if, it, if they got kind of low. Mm. I've, you know, that's the type of thing that can happen there too. Uh, polluted Bonds... Blood Chief Ascension could kind of fit into this mix. I know that's another combo-tastic card. <laughs> uh, Green even has some cards like this. So there's Power Leech, Roots of Life, uh, Life Gift. They are all um, effects that kind of... They don't usually drain the opponents, but they give you uh, a little bit of life every time something happens. Sometimes it's like whenever an island gets tapped or whatever. But you can... I, I like that green can add to the life gain part of the strategy. Yeah. And 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 green black life gain is not something we've seen as much as like white black life but gain. But it's in this set. Yeah. And so looking at the main set, there's some other cards that can go in this deck too. So I'm seeing more and more support with it. And I like it because, you know, it's not in the traditional colors that we just immediately go to. It's like, oh, white black life gain, like it exists. But now it's like, oh, let's kind of like shifted a little bit. I like the life gain synergies. Like I like that strategy of approaching a deck. Let's take it into green. And then suddenly there's like a new way of, of going about it. So yeah, I'm a, I'm green. a big fan of, green can of that do shift. Anything. Let's give them more stuff <laughs> they can do. Um, sorry. Uh, well, let's talk about a, a mechanic here that, you know, always confuses newer players because of the way that it's on oh, cards. Yeah. So another good mechanic that's, that's quite powerful with Dina is the extort mechanic. So extort, let me read extort. Okay. Uh, extort, the extort is a keyword. It just says extort. Um, but then the reminder text is whenever you cast a spell, you may pay Orzov, you know, silver quill, <laughs> either a white or a black. Yep. If you do, each opponent loses one life and you gain that much life. 
the important part of this is that it says extort on the card and that everything that I just read is reminder text. And the reminder text of having that white mana symbol in there does not impact the color, the card's color identity. Yes, so that is true. A lot of people will doubt this if it's the first time they're hearing it. You can go look it up um, in the official rules. I think mtgcommander.net or one of these places will definitely clear, uh, verify what we're saying. But the extort mechanic, even though it has that hybrid mana symbol in it and seems to have a white mana symbol on the card, the extort mechanic will not affect color identity. So you can play Pontiff of Blight in a deck that does not have white. You can play Cryptgast in a deck that does not have white. And you can activate the extort ability with only the black mana that you have because your deck doesn't have white and use that as a life gain trigger that will trigger Dina. So I think extort pontiff is great because it gives all your stuff extort. So anytime you or all your creatures. So anytime you cast a spell, you might be able to play like three, three or four black. It's great. And that's three or four <laughs> instances of life gain, which are going to double up the amount drained and gain, you know, and you gain a lot of life. You off really extort do too. extort. Yeah. Extort is feels a little bit broken because a lot of times uh, these effects, uh, Dina included, you deal one damage to each opponent and you only gain one life. Extort has you gaining that much life. Yeah. So uh, each one of my three opponents takes one, but then I gain three which and gives then they you all take one more because of dina oh my gosh so that's so great the, the 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 gap between how much you're gaining and how much they're losing is pretty big there right you dealt six damage from just casting a spell and paying one mana you dealt six damage and gain three life so that's a nine point swing and pontiff of blight lets you multiply this over all of your creatures even your just like your commander has it your little dumb tokens have it it's so it's really fun i like i like pontiff of blight a lot all right, so that's pretty much Dina. She has this um, sacrifice outlet, which we talked about. I, I, the only thing I could think of using the sacrifice outlet was maybe because green and black are infect colors. So you might be able to sack a couple of creatures, get her high enough that you could get an infect knockout here and there. Okay. Um, yeah. But she's, you know, she's a one three. So sometimes uh, green cares about your power. Yeah. You know, if you're traversing the outlands or something like that. But there's so many other decks that really focus on the power matters that, and Dina has so many hoops to jump through to get there. It feels like it doesn't match very well. Feels like you're building around that first ability about yeah. the life gain more than the second ability but it will Agreed. be nice to have if somebody goes to steal your stuff or whatever uh no we want to know that dina is included with the witherbloom uh commander precon deck not all of these uh uncommon legendaries are speaking of let's talk about the silver quill one <laughs> silver quill uh we have killian ink duelist white and a black for a 2-2 legendary human warlock uh, Killian has lifelink and menace and spells you cast that target a creature cost two less to cast. We call it Menace around here, DJ. Okay. Sorry. Spells not that target Menace. a creature, not creature you control, just a creature cost two less to cast. What does this make you think of when you see that text? Well, when I first saw it, I was like, whatever it works better with combat tricks or something like that you know it's like oh it's got menace you know what i mean right and it's got lifelink Menace. So, you know so. we just talked about this <laughs> it's got menace <laughs> yes and got lifelink. <laughs> so i was thinking that in limited you swing in with them and your opponents are like oh no what do i do i can't really all right i double block i have to get this lifelinker off the board and then you can play different combat tricks that you wouldn't normally be able to got him uh, but you're and, not doing that in Commander. Yeah, so that's what that was my first go-to, and I'm like, that's not good in Commander. Yeah. Uh, but Josh unlocked the big brain on this and came up with some good stuff. 
Well, I feel like Aura Voltron is probably the most likely because Voltron goes in two ways. It's usually Aura or Equipment or both. But Equipment isn't a, a spell that targets a creature, right? It's yeah. an ability. Uh, so Auras make sense. And I thought maybe Bestow stuff because those can also be creatures. Those yeah. are, yeah, those are Aura enchantments that either you can cast as creatures or jump off and become creatures when the thing died that they're attached to. Yeah, so Josh described level one, which is, uh, oh, look, it targets your creature. Like, you know, like the combat trick that I was thinking of, you know, imbue it with great stuff, attack with it. It's got Menace, so it can get in for more damage, all that good stuff. Um, But then it just says creatures. Right. You know, so, and it doesn't even say like, creatures on the battlefield so like you brought up a card like victimize uh two and a black for a sorcery choose two target creature cards in your graveyard sacrifice a creature if you do return the chosen cards to the battlefield tapped i'm realizing this isn't going to work how i thought it would so this is uh, this is something we should it's good i'm glad that you thought i was smart and then i just realized as you were reading it that i'm not so there's a difference between creature card and creature uh, so a creature card in your graveyard d- isn't what Killian targets. So unburial rights wouldn't work good with Killian. That would be way too cool. We actually uh, uh, target a creature versus creature card. Yes, exactly. So I'm sorry. I I'm let you say a stray DJ. Um, I should have erased that from the uh, from the outline. But it's good we had this discussion <laughs> so people don't get excited about dread return and unburial rights like I did. And I thought Josh was so much yeah. smarter. I thought he, <laughs> thought he unlocked this. That would have been really, really <laughs> sweet to get a discount on a lot of those reanimation cards. Killian does not do that. All right. So we're basically just looking at the battlefield. Uh, we're pumping up our, our creatures. But okay. So if we can't target creatures in our library and hands in graveyards, we can target any creature on the board though, right? Yeah, that's interesting. When I first read Killian, I thought it was only creatures you control, but it's actually any creature. So it does also work with like removal spells. So like Curtain's Call gets too cheaper. Curtain's Call already gets cheaper. I mean, probably you can cast Curtain Call for just one black mana after this, right? Curtain's Call is five and a black for an instant, undaunted. So usually it gets a reduction of three because you have three opponents. So usually Curtain's Call costs three mana to destroy two Two target creatures, uh, one black mana, instant speed. Yeah, because I destroy two, by two more creatures. with Killian. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I was wondering if like contract killing, which um, creates treasure, kind of evens out and makes it better than like just a. Uh, uh, other removal spells. There's stuff like, again, Oblation, which would only be one white. Okay, yeah. Um, so all of a sudden, your removal gets better. And then I think you're playing, like, Gift of Immortality, Timely Ward, that kind of stuff that... Um, maybe you can be friends with Mavinda, things that target your own creatures, maybe. that kind of stuff. Yeah, you can do interest, uh, instants and sorceries as well. Although I think because Killian doesn't have a natural recursion ability on it, I, I want something that's going to stick around. I think yeah. Bestow Creatures are really one of the keys because they do target creatures, but they also are creatures so that if you... That's the problem with equipment decks and enchantment decks usually is like if you draw half your deck then you don't have anything to put the stuff on or you don't have stuff to put onto the things you've got and so having things that sort of are the hinges that can be either one piece of the puzzle or the other is really important so i don't think this is going to be very powerful i gotta say i'm whenever you're stacking things uh, enchantments or auras on a creature and it doesn't have hex proof or uh, shroud or bestow they jump off so you don't lose the stuff you're playing a bestow deck without Chromanticore. Heresy, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I uh, wanted to note that Killian is not included in the Silver Quill precon. Not sure why. Because. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to the Prismari Uncommon. We talked about it a little in our Prismari Upgrade video, but we're going to go in a little more in depth. It's Rutha Mercurial Artist. One, a blue, and a red. So three mana for a 1-4 Legendary Orc Shaman. They're calling this the Four Orc Fork. <laughs> the F-O-R-C, fork. Uh, because 
Rutha says, you pay two and return Rutha to its owner's hand. Copy, target, instant, or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. So Rutha is a fork, and she's also an orc. So that, you know, plan words. Great. <laughs> uh, Seems fun. Forks are really fun effects. Yeah. We like them. Uh, having more access to forks uh, can be really good. And, you know... Uh, you can p- play this in installments. So even though it's like five mana to fork something, being able to pay three and then pay two whenever you have that relevant spell seems fine. Yeah. I mean, if you have infinite mana and flash, you can infinitely fork something. Although, of course, if you have infinite mana, you're probably, you, you can win. It's not hard to win once you find infinite mana. Mm-hmm. Um, you could go infinite with ETBs with Rutha. If, again, if you had infinite mana or just a lot of mana, as long as you put an instant or sorcery spell on the stack, again, you have to have uh, flash for this, but you can sort of cast her over and over again. Yep. It's kind of like, um, there's, what's that red spell that helps you with storm count? Grinning Ingus? Yeah, it's kind of, it could, it could play that role. Also, you could have like Perforos uh, or Impact Tremors, OG Perforos, out and sort of kill people that way, just infinite ETBs. Um, you do need a lot of mana to do that manually, though. Yeah. yeah. She seems pretty good with sneak attack, if you can get it. Because then it reduces it by two, essentially, because it's one red to get now in it's a three versus mana three fork, mana. And it just becomes like a better reiterate. Also, Sneak Attack gives it the instant ability, right? It's sort of the flash component and the cost reduction component. I feel component. like you kind of do need that. You either need to have it sitting on the battlefield to always be threatening to copy something, or you do need that way to get it in like quickly, you know? Well, also because you really want to be able to copy something multiple times. So if somebody goes, uh, I'm going to cast Expropriate, and you go... You know, oh, sweet, I'm going to sneak attack out, Rutha, copy it, sneak attack her out, you know, copy it, sneak attack her out, copy it. You could do that. You control. Oh, you it's you control. You can't even steal their stuff. You can't even steal their stuff. Well, you can still do it on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And and copying your own thing like two or three times is, is a thing you might want to do. Yeah. So that, that you control actually yeah, really does actually, bother me because I like fork being able to protect like if it was anything yeah, you can counterspell yeah, you protect their counterspell just imagine if you had this on the battlefield and you could always counter their counterspell yeah that wouldn't that would totally change the dynamic on the table it's that threat of activation thing yeah, yeah that is a little bit of a bummer that's things you control do you know what I do like with it though like I think that even though it's not you described a few broken things about getting infinite mana cheating it into play all that good stuff I do like the fair way of this being sort of like a copy tribal commander a little bit uh uh, copying spells is just fun. Uh, and you mentioned a card, Fury Storm. Uh, two red, red for an instant. When you cast a spell, copy it for each time you've cast your commander from the command zone this game. You may choose new targets for the copies. So it kind of like, hey, it's a copy thing that also synergizes with your commander that also copies things. It feels very thematic. Well, for Fury Storm with any other fork goes immediately infinite on copies too. So like you fork the Fury Storm. That makes two Fury Storms, which now copy all the Fury Storms. And then you have as many Fury Storms as you feel like. Uh, and then at the end of that, you copy something else if you feel like it, or you just have like Ral Storm Conduit out and that kills people. So Fury Storm with another fork is just like a thing that, you know, I've died too many times, but you don't have to go infinite that way. It's just forks do tend to go infinite with each other because yeah. if We've you fork a fork, do stuff a lot. Yeah. Yeah. If you fork a fork, then you've got like, <laughs> it's like, it's hard to explain, but once you start laying it out on the stack, you go, oh, I'll just make three more forks, which just makes six more forks. I've which literally, just makes, I've literally yeah. gotten like proxies to be like, all right, we need to proxy out yeah, these yeah. forks. Okay, fork. This, <laughs> this is, is a copy fork, of this and then fork, this makes two. And you're just laying cards out there. <laughs> and everyone's like, whatever, we're dead, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. Um, training grounds and Hearthstone seem like they would be good as ways to reduce the cost on the activated ability. Uh, I thought Mana Geyser is crazy good with Rutha because you cast your 
mana geyser and then fork it fork mana geysers usually cause winning the game because you're like i have 50 mana yeah, jessica's will we mentioned that before we yep. can't, can't stop talking about that card uh extra turn spells obviously very good with forks because only thing better than getting an extra turn is getting two or maybe four if you've got time stretch or whatever uh and then just big x burn spells that's a good way to kill somebody is to just have a mana geyser get it for and then either use that mana and fork an x spell or fork the mana geyser and just make the x spell even bigger yeah so uh rutha included is included in the prismari pre-con deck if anyone was wondering all right all right let's move on to quandrix quandrix we have Zimone, Quandrix Prodigy. Uh, green and a blue for a 1-2 Legendary Human Wizard. One tap, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. Four tap, draw a card. If you control eight or more lands, draw two cards instead. Okay, so it's kind of like a bad walking atlas, but also has a second ability that draws you some cards at a pretty expensive rate. I think Walking Atlas is underplayed. I think yeah. people might enjoy trying out Quandrix in some, sorry, Zimone in some way to experience the coolness of Walking Atlas. Sure. <laughs> I mean, this it's it, not a slay. It's not like this amazing Commander Garden like that. You're like, yeah, fine. I agree with you. I think of all the cards we're going to talk about on this episode, this is the one where I was the most like, yeah. I mean, it's just landfall.deck and we have Simic just has that on lock. And yeah, it's like AC, Tatiova, just that shell. That's what this is going to look like, and I think it'll probably... I mean, I think it's going to be worse than those two decks anyway, It will. Right? I believe so, yeah. And the difference here is you might throw in a couple of untappers, so like Cure's Follower... I like Retreat to Korahelm. Retreat to Korahelm, uh, really land good. Land enters the battlefield. You untap can choose to untap Zimone and then do it again. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's a little bit that's going to be different. I think Retreat to Korahelm and like Amulet of Vigor with mm. Zimone is just like put all your lands in play right so that's that's an interesting combo but in general like this is a deck we've seen in many forms landfall decks are very common and this isn't going to be like vastly different it'll have like maybe 10 or 11 cards that are kind of unique to it yeah yeah okay uh and the last one is the lore hold this one. is included in the quandrix precon oh Zimone comes in the quandrix precon. good to know this next one does not come in the lore hold precon it's quintorius field historian I like him already. Listen to that name. Cool name. Also looks pretty cool. Is doing something with a rock. Is an elephant. Is also an elephant, yeah. Cost five <laughs> mana, though. Three, a red, and a white. So I like him less already. For a 2-4 legendary elephant cleric, says spirits you control get plus one, plus zero. Whenever one or more cards leave your graveyard, create a 3-2 red and white spirit creature token. Whenever a card leaves... Oh, sorry. It's one or more cards leave your graveyard. So it's similar to Dina in that... It doesn't matter if you have a single effect that makes 10 cards leave your graveyard. You would still only get one, three, two. So it cares about singular instances of cards leaving your graveyard. I like that. If we if we were able to just wipe away a graveyard and suddenly just have an army of three twos, I think that'd be a little bit powerful. good, but a little bit powerful. Yeah. But so it technically makes four twos because those are spirits, which will get plus one, plus oh. Four two is a real card. Yeah, that's like... Like, you get a few of those, and sooner or later, it adds up to real damage. So, you pointed out that the escape mechanic is very, very good with this. It is. Yeah. It is. Because the escape mechanic, especially if you can escape in small numbers, just has you exiling cards left and right. So, for example, Underworld Breach, yep. which is an enchantment for one and a red that gives every card in your graveyard escape three, you know, and you have to pay the mana cost, stuff like right. that. Uh, you just start escaping things and casting things back from your graveyard, but with every escape, with every spell that you're casting, you're escaping and making a 3-2, then you're casting a spell, having it leave your graveyard, make a 3-2. Yeah, a 
let's walk through that. So in order to escape something, you have to exile cards from your graveyard as part of the cost of escaping it. So that's cards leaving your graveyard. You make a 3-2. But then you also cast the spell out of your graveyard, which is a card leaving your graveyard. So you make another 3-2, which are actually 4-2s. So everything you escape will make 8 power worth of stuff onto your board across two creatures. That's pretty cool. Like, Underworld Breach needed a lot of help already. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> already a card that goes in, like, every red deck now. Um, you you mentioned also that Retrace is sort of a similar play things out of your graveyard. Yeah, Retrace yeah. is fun. Do you want to read the Retrace mechanic just so people know what that is? And then yes. we, can re we can read a card or two that kind of matters for it. Absolutely. Retrace is... Uh, um, you may cast this card from your graveyard by discarding a land card in addition to paying its other costs. Which so, is good because it's putting things into your graveyard that can be food for your underworld breaches and stuff too. But also you're casting a card out of your graveyard. So that's a card leaving your graveyard and you make a three, two. Yeah. So rea two. reality scramble is one of the things good because you also have uh, tokens. I like uh, throws of chaos three and a red for a sorcery cascade. It's just it. It just cascades. <laughs> so it just hits the next three drop or lower in your deck. And yeah. but, but it also has, makes a three two. Yeah. And it also makes, and then it, you can retrace it. So just basically you can cast this for any land uh, coming up at any time. It's just very cool uh, graveyard synergies that you have going on. You know, I've talked a lot about Boros now Lorehold uh, and how, one thing I've been doing with all my red-white decks is sort of this Crucible of Worlds fetch lands package. I don't know if you've heard me talk about it before, DJ. I have found a lot of success running Crucible of Worlds, all the fetch lands I can fit in, and then stuff like Savine's like Reclamation brought back. Um, Cosmic Intervention is a new one. Sun Titan is a classic. Yeah, although it's a little expensive. But just ways to sort of like cheat extra lands into play with the Savine's Reclamation and the brought back and get um, card advantage with the Crucible of Worlds. Well, every time you do that, those are cards entering and leaving the battlefield. So Crucible of Worlds, which is a fetch land, is actually a free 3-2 every single turn. Amazing. Yeah, so, and that's already something I want to do in Boros, so I feel like that's that's pretty sweet in the deck, for sure. Um, one more card, uh, Flare of the Hatebound. Uh, five and a red for a four, two, it has undying. Um, so when this creature dies, if it had no plus one, plus one counters on it, return it to the battlefield, um, with a plus one, plus one counter on it. Whenever flare of the hate bound or another creature enters the battlefield from your graveyard, that creature deals damage equal to its power to any target. Oh, nice. So if you have ways of getting creatures out of your graveyard, and by the way, white is, is kind of a reanimation, yeah. um, effects. You can start, you know, dealing damage to people, making extra three, two, four, like four twos too. Yep. Like they're actually really cool the amount of card advantage you get by churning through your graveyard uh i'm just a big fan of this yeah i think it can be really really cool there's stuff like teshar that will get like reanimate things from your graveyard squee the immortal naturally lets you play it out of your graveyard um if you get into the revel arc karmic guide loops that's going to usually those just win the game so i don't know that this matters a lot but those usually uh, recur each other over and over again. So you're going to get... Yeah. Sometimes you need a third piece uh, for that. And yeah. you do need a third piece as your commander to go sort of infinite. Um, but sometimes certain combos that you might be like, oh, I need a third piece for this to finally win. Your commander can be that third piece. Um, just faithless looting. You right. know what I mean? Yep, like, yep. like there are cards that you would naturally just play in a deck and you realize like, oh, wait, that, that interacts with the graveyard. That has us leaving the graveyard. Um, it's... It's really deep, the amount of cards that synergize with this deck. I'm I'm actually really excited about it, for sure. Yeah, there's stuff like Grim Lava Mancer, which I found is one red for a 1-1. You pay a red and tap it and exile two cards from your graveyard, and it deals two damage to any target. 
that ability is kind of meh, but as soon as you, it's like, every time you do that, though, you're going to make a 3-2, which is might be a 4-2. That gets a lot better. You know, throughout this whole thing, I was thinking, like, boy, the one thing that's lacking the most, it feels, for like, is that red-white's not super great at filling its graveyard. You can use the wheel effects from red to help mm-hmm. you with that. White doesn't help you a lot with self-mill. You know, there's stuff like Mesmeric Orb, uh, which mills every time you untap stuff, anybody untap stuff. Um but I think you're going to need a certain amount of that because I, I don't think this color combination will inherently fill its graveyard very well. So make sure you don't forget that part of the deck if you're building it. All right. Those were all the uncommon legendaries. We've got two more before we get to the Elder Dragons. And like you mentioned, that one was not in the Lorehold Precon, which I was the most interested by that card of all of them. And also it does synergize with Oskir. They're the taking commander. They're taking artifacts, artifacts out of their exiling them. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense though. Cause uh, whatever. They probably just want to make sure that like, well, you're going to have to buy some cards from the main set. Because there, are, there are a bunch of cards from the main set that you're just like, this that should have been in the precon. Yeah. Well, they were like, why should we put those in there? We'll make you buy booster packs as well. That makes sense. I mean, you know, all right, we've got two more commanders that aren't elder dragons. The first one is another five mana lore hold commander. It is Hoffrey Ghost Forge, three red white for a four five legendary dwarf cleric. Spirits you control get plus one plus one and have trample and haste. Woo. So he's like, Woo. yeah, he's like, just I see ma- you, Quintorius, ma- and I up you one toughness, trample and haste. Five three, yeah, like just f- imagine five three hasty guys as you're doing all this stuff. Like you cast Underworld Breach and suddenly you're just like. Hoffrey's definitely going in the Quintorius deck. We'll, we'll see if sure. Quintorius wants to go in the Hoffrey deck. Hoffrey's other ability is whenever another non-token creature you control dies, exile it. Okay, yes, Quintorius already wants this. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's a spirit in addition to its other types, and it has, when this creature leaves the battlefield, return the exile card to your graveyard. So this is super interesting. You have Hoffrey out. You have a Solemn Simulacrum that dies. It hits the graveyard and says exile me and when i do that i'm creating a solemn simulacrum token on the battlefield so i'll put the land into play then if that solemn simulacrum dies i'll draw the card and my solemn simulacrum that was in exile because earlier it hit the graveyard and got exiled will go back into the graveyard so you don't lose access to it forever and it's when the token leaves the battlefield correct so it's very hard it's i think it's without stifle or something yeah it's really hard you're probably going to get the trigger it's probably going to go back into your graveyard yeah so you don't even have the downside of like oh that Creature just gets exiled oh, from my like, graveyard forever. Oh, Cyclonic Rift. Now everything's exiled from my graveyard and I got no, you know, yeah, yeah. dies triggers. So it's it's good. Yeah, um, but that won't happen, right? Yeah. All the exiled stuff goes back into your graveyard. So this is super interesting. Allows you to kind of make token copies of the stuff that you have that dies and kind of makes it so this like every time they kill something, I could kill it twice. I mean, it has to die if they exile it. This doesn't board happen. wipe, board wipe protection, yep. which we look for in cards that play creatures, you know, and try to commit to the board. Uh, it has me feeling like luminous brood moth a little bit where uh, if I kill it, it's just going to come right back again. You know, uh, so anything with enter the battlefield effects, uh, those are going to trigger twice. Uh, of course, there are combos that work with this too. Like we mentioned, uh, Revelark and Karmic Guide working with uh, um, with the other uh, Lorehold commander. Quintorius. Don't forget uh, the name. <laughs> Quintorius. Uh, then they also can work with this too. Uh, sack outlets to get double value out of your stuff. Like there's there's a lot of depth to this commander. Yeah, there's a Miss Moon Griffin loop with this thing. So Miss Moon Griffin. Any of the cards that let you cast from exile. Miss Moon Griffin is a... Well, this is... So when, oh, yeah. when it dies, you exile it. 
and then return the top creature card of your graveyard to the battlefield. So when it dies, you stack those triggers so the Hoffrey trigger goes off. You make a copy of Miss Moon Griffin, a token copy. And when it dies, you stack those triggers so that Miss Moon Griffin is now the top card in your graveyard because it comes back from exile and it gets brought back by its token, which means now when it dies, and you can just get infinite on ETBs and stuff there. So if you have the Impact Tremors or the Perforos or anything like that, or Astro's Altar will just give you infinite mana or whatever. So that is a infinite loop. So again, need a sack outlet, instant speed at sack outlet. Yeah. But that's easy to You're get. You're going to have that. it in the Hoffrey deck, though. Yeah. The, the Hoffrey deck needs a lot of sack outlets because you want to get that additional value. The Solemn Similar Akram yeah, thing doesn't do you much good. No one's going to block when you swing in with the Solemn with this Hoffrey deck. Instead, you want to be able to sacrifice it so you get that second Solemn. I want that ETB again. I want that Death Trigger again. So you're going to definitely play a lot of sack outlets. You know, I thought a fun way to build this deck would be with a bunch of threatened effects because Hoffrey reads whenever a creature, uh, another non-token creature you control dies, exile it. So if you have somebody else's creature and it dies, that is a creature you control dying. Now it hits their graveyard, gets exiled, but you make the token copy of it. Now, when your token dies, their creature will go back to their graveyard, but you don't care that much. You, you now have the token for more than a single turn. So yeah. a threaten effect is a effect that, that says untapped target creature. You gain control of it against haste uh, until end, or un, uh, you gain control of it until end of turn against haste. There's a bunch of these effects. And the way to really take advantage of this is to get those effects on creatures. Because those are your creatures you control that will die and make tokens and steal more stuff that you can then keep. So let me, let me give you the best example of this one. Yeah. Okay. Coercive Recruiter. Uh, four and a red for a 4-3 Orc Pirate. Whenever coercive, coercive Recruiter or another Pirate enters the battlefield under your control, gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap that creature until, uh, until end of turn. It gains haste and becomes a Pirate in addition to its other types. Uh, so we have Coercive Recruiter can take a creature from them. Okay. Uh, it becomes a Pirate. Yeah. It becomes a Pirate. But it's not entering the battlefield. It's not entering the battlefield so as, a, yeah. as a pirate. Um, but you get to, you can then sacrifice and take more advantage of it. And if you have extra pirate themes, so like, for example, you can sacrifice this and get more pirates and essentially steal more things and get more than a single threat. Yeah. Well, I also like, yeah, think of Corrosive Recruiter. Enthralling Victor could work this way. Zealous Conscripts. Play it. Steal their thing, sack their thing, get a co token copy of their thing. Sacrifice your course of recruiter, make a token copy of it, triggers ETB, steal their thing, sack their thing, keep their thing. Right? Awesome. So that's one card that just permanently stole two of their creatures. They also, those things have haste, you attack them with them that turn. I think Molten Primordial is really, really good because it steals something from each of your opponents. So now you steal three things. Sack those things, keep those things, sack your Molten Primordial, steal three more things, sack those things, keep those things you've built your own insurrection. Not better than insurrection. You get to keep those things. Yeah. You get those things, not just till end of turn, but you know, ostensibly forever until they kill them. So I think threaten effect dot deck with this, the sack and keep strategy is actually a really cool way to build this deck. I also thought you could maybe pair this with your sneak attacks and your perforos bronze blooded, because again, sneak attack one red mana, put a creature onto the battlefield, but you have to sacrifice it at the next end step. Well, that's a creature dying that gets exiled and now you make a token copy of it that stays on the battlefield. So sneak attack just permanently puts a thing onto the battlefield for you now. So one red mana, any creature in your hand. So awesome. Yeah, think of how and it gives you the the think death sneaking in those molten primordials or those other cards that let exactly. you draw stuff and churn through your deck and oh man. And it you don't need a sack outlet necessarily too. You know, you have to get two pieces together for the threat and you need a sack outlet, a national altar or something. 
that's not that hard to do, but still the sneak attack could give you the, oh, I want my course of recruiter to die um, so that I can steal another thing. Although I guess you need the sack outlet when you steal their thing so you could keep it. So maybe that doesn't, anyway, you see what I'm saying? I think that could be yeah. an actually just like a cool sneaking deck. in a solemn or something like that. It's just like, okay, well I don't have the sack outlet, but naturally sneak attacks can just going to have it die. Um, and I like that. So it's this kind of slower, you know, not as combo-y, but still that sacrifice outlet. I love it. I think it's this Huffrey's just really good also with just like burnished heart. Solemn, we said, Knight of the White Orchid. Like, just there's a lot of value you can get off just like play the thing, I get the effect, I sack it, and now I get another ETB off that thing. Or Burnished Heart is just like I get the, the lands in play, and now I can just pay the mana and get the lands in play again. And that's a way that, like, you know. I can maybe keep up with those green decks that are doing the landfall thing. I really like decks that can have several different axes of attack, several different engines, because honestly, sometimes stealing creatures dot deck doesn't doesn't win games sometimes right because you're playing against a certain deck and they don't have the critical mass of creatures they don't have relevant creatures out there they're slinging spells they're interacting stuff like that but so being able to pivot and combo or being able to pivot and just gain value by solemn simulacruming over and over and over again like that's cool because a lot of times red decks they just do or boros decks lorehold decks they just do one thing attack they just attack or they just do do their thing. And if that thing gets stifled in some way, they feel underpowered. and Or can feel like I could just never win this game because I don't have any other access to sort of a t- attack this in. And Hoffrey feels like it gives you a few different yeah. ways, a few outs. I can have a plan B. Yeah, I like that a lot. All right. We got one more legendary creature before we get to the Elder Dragons. And this is maybe the most interesting <laughs> of the bunch. You want to read it? It's Cody, a vociferous codex. It's the only five-color commander in the set. Yes. This three mana, it's three generic mana for a one-four legendary artifact creature construct. Uh, you can't cast permanent spells. You can't cast permanent <laughs> spells. Okay, well, it better have a major upside, and okay. it does. Uh, four tap add Wooberg, that's white, blue, black, red, green, uh, when you cast your next spell this turn, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile an instant or sorcery card with lesser mana value. Until end of turn, you may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Put each other card exiled this way in the bottom of your library in a random order. So this is a three mana, little one for mana rock. It is a mana rock. It does generate you a mana. You put in four generic and you get out five of, you know, five mana. So that's good. Um, big downside of you can't cast permanent spells, right? It is, but I mean, obviously, you're going to know that when you build your deck, so I think it's less of a downside than it would seem. You just yeah. don't put very many permanent spells into the Cody you're deck. You're just like soul ring and that's it. I don't think you put zero, and I don't yeah. think you put... I think you still have a dozen or so, um, because you can cast permanent spells before Cody comes out, and you get to choose when you cast Cody. Also, Cody might die sometimes, in which case you can cast your permanent spells. So I think a lot of people were like, you you know, you can play this card. You can, yeah, you can play those cards. Sensei's Divining Top Scroll Rack, you can cast those before Cody's out. That's top deck manipulation. You want to know what's on top of your deck, so you know what spell you could hit when you do the thing. There's a cool white card called Penance. It's two and a white for an enchantment. You choose a card from your hand and put that card on top of your library and prevent all damage from a black or red source. This is just a good way to take That's a... That's really interesting. Yeah, it's just a really good way to take a card from your hand, put it on top of your deck, and then Cody can now hit that card when you cast your next spell. Nice. So you know exactly what you're getting. And uh, also, we have lots of different things like this, like Brainstorm, you know? Yeah, that's uh, the other thing. You you mostly, I think, want those on non-permanent so that you can do that once Cody's already out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Mystical Tutor, Vampire Tutor, those are good ways to get the card you want on top of your library. Long-Term Plans is a tutor that lets you 
tutor for a card, but then put it three deep into your deck. But Cody will see that. Yeah, let me let me read a weird a weird tutor that we might not know about. Insidious Dreams, uh, three and a black for an instant as an additional cost to cast to play Insidious Dreams. Discard X cards from your hand. Search your library for X cards, then shuffle your library and put those cards on top of it in any order. So you could theoretically. It instant speed, get rid of some of the stuff you don't know. Maybe you have a scroll rack stuck in your hand. Yep. Uh, get rid of that, but then stack the top of your library. You can even stack it so like, okay, I'm going to draw this card because that's what I want to draw. I'm going to then play it and then cascade directly into the thing below it. And all you've done is, you know, you've set that up at instant speed and you've set that up um, just for four mana and chucking a few of your cards, dead cards in your hand. Uh, Flicker seems really good with Cody as well. So ghostly flicker because you can activate Cody mm-hmm. and either with it on the stack, the activation on the stack or not, uh, depending on if you want the ghostly flicker to trigger Cody, mm-hmm. you can then flicker Cody, which will come back untapped. And if you have haste or something, you obviously need haste as a component in this. You could then activate Cody multiple times in a turn because it says activate only once each turn, right? No, it doesn't even say that. This is just a way to get Cody untapped and use an instant or sorcery to untap it. Yeah. Uh, any card that untaps a card will be pretty good with Cody because, again, you are up mana when you activate Cody. I think, actually, just untappers are good. Uh, Vizier of Tumbling Sands came to mind. That one's particularly good because it's a permanent. Everyone's like, no, it's a permanent. But being an untapper is still good. Like, I think that these untapper effects are surprisingly good. People don't play them very often, but they are mana dorks. It's a little bit of an expensive mana dork, but it's a mana dork that also can synergize with your soul ring, with your, you know, with your other mana rocks and stuff like that. And especially if it synergizes with your commander, it's particularly good. So Vizier's Tumbling Sands can be just a strong mana rock, but it has that fail safe in it because you can always cycle it. When you're cycling it, you are not playing a permanent spell, you right. know, you're, you're activating an ability. And when you cycle Vizier of Tumbling Sands, you get to draw a card and also untap target permanent. Yeah. So that is a way that, like, if I don't get my Vizier of Tumbling Sands out, I draw it after Cody's already out. It still helps my plan because I activate Cody, cycle the Vizier of Tumbling Sands, untap Cody, got the card back, and now I can keep maybe activate Cody again. And now the next spell I cast maybe triggers Cody twice, uh, which seems very, Ooh, very powerful. I like, I like being able to trigger, trigger twice, especially yeah. because the Vizier of Tumbling Sands is not a spell, so it's not going to be able to trigger it. Um, I like that. All right, let's talk about something combo-tastic and I was trying to figure out here. Okay. Because Cody is very, very good if you could get a Pemmin's Aura or a Freed from the Real on it because it costs one blue mana to untap Cody. It's easy to misread Cody. When you pay four and tap Cody, you get Wooburg back. You don't have to spend that mana only to cast instance or sorcery spells. No, you just get Wooburg. Yeah. yeah, so you can spend the blue mana from Cody into the Freed from the Real or the Pemmin's Aura and untap Cody, and you'll still have four left, and you can activate Cody again. It's very, very good. Yeah, so that's... <laughs> you could then cascade into... Whatever lot, the, yeah. You could say whatever the next spell I cast will basically get trigger every Cody single spell b- 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 of a certain CMC. Yeah. So I was like, but the problem is Pemmin's Aura and Free from the Real are aura enchantment spells. How do I cast them if Cody's already out? I can't because I can't cast permanent spells. But there are ways around this. There are. So one of the ways is you get <laughs> Pemmin's Aura onto something else before you cast Cody. Another permanent has to be. Yeah. And then you cast <laughs> Cody and then you blink out the Pemmin's Aura. Or the Freed from the Real. Because if you blink an aura, it comes back in and it, it kind of asks you, well, where do you want me to go? Because it can't just come back in and not attach to something. There's two things here. One is it actually will get around Shroud and Hexproof in this case too because it doesn't technically target. But also, 
you could now attach it to Cody and get in the situation. So there are other cards too that do move uh, auras around that's and stuff true. like that. So so that's another way of doing it. You are including, oh yeah, there are some white cards recently that do stuff like that. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. a there's a Simic Guild. So it might even be called Simic Guild Mage that lets you move an aura. Um, but also just blink. Uh, blink effects will often do it, and a lot of these are on permanence. But again, you could play them before Cody's out. So like Venzer's a Sojourner, Brago, Aminatu. Those will. Um, Blink out a permanent, and then when it comes back, you can attach it to Cody. Also, like Savine's Reclamation, which is recurring it from the graveyard to the battlefield, mm, will, I like al- that. will also allow you to attach it where you want to without you casting the spell, because you can't cast permanents. Savine's Reclamation hits permanents, though, so it's like... You need a you need a permanent to all you need is thing. yeah all you need is a cu- is fetch lines in your deck and then Savian's reclamation is always going to be good because okay. you can always just use it as a rampant growth okay yeah and it has flashback too so even if you used it for that later and you find your freed from the real you can potentially you have to get the freed from the real into the graveyard somehow but <laughs> are we have we gone too deep on this <laughs> I'm just saying if you could do it it would be pretty cool um okay here's something else that would be cool because Cody's text you can't cast permanent spells. That only applies to the controller of Cody. And you, of course, being the Cody deck, have built your deck knowing that you're not going to be able to cast permanent spells and have therefore put in like a bunch of non-permanents. But your opponents, they're not playing the Cody deck, so they haven't built their deck that way. So if you can ever give Cody somehow to your opponents, you can severely restrict their ability to play the game because they won't be able to play any of their permanent spells. So what are some ways we might be able to give Cody to others? This is the, this is the approach that I love. Uh, there's definitely a few of them. Uh, assault suit is one of them. You equip up assault suit and assault suit basically lets you pass your, uh, equipped creature to your opponents on their turns, yep. on their turns. And so basically Cody will just pass around the table to everyone else so that everyone on the turn will be like, great, I'll take the Cody. And now I can't cast permanent spells. <laughs> I can't cast permanent spells. I think that the the one that I like the best, though, uh, is Fractured Identity. Oh, yeah. You just Fractured Identity, your own Cody, and then you're like, here you go, all of three of you have a Cody in play. Yeah, you're Fractured welcome. Identity uh, exiles, uh, uh, is it target permanent? Target yeah. non-land, non-land permanent? Whatever it is. It exiles a target and then it creates a token copy of that thing for each of that permanence controller's opponents. I like this spell in general. It's a great catch-up mechanic. Someone is clearly ahead, and you're like, do you know what? No, not for you. And then everyone else gets one, and it's this great equalizer. So I really like it as a political card. But when it has like this like narrow case scenario of like shutting down your opponent's decks just happened to, I think that this is going to go in every Cody deck just because. Because it's funny. It's funny. Also, you could like, I'm going to call it Cascade, but you could Cody into it. Yeah off of another spell and do that. So that seems cool too. Um, all right. So Cody, pretty interesting. I actually think the deck will be decently good. Um, even though it has that large restriction, if you, you know, if I think restriction breeds creativity. And so the fact that you're building a deck, even if you're doing crazy penmans or, you know, freed from the real things, uh, I think that that makes your deck way more interesting and fun to play. By the way, I know people don't like infinite combos that much, but if someone pulls off the Pemmons aura combo and jumps through all the hoops they would have to to get that thing onto Cody, they deserve. They deserve it. They deserve it. They don't even win. They just they, cascade. It's true, actually. Like, like you have to. Pl- you still you have still to still do have to stuff. Play a really big spell. Right. It doesn't give you infinite mana. You still have to play a really big spell to cascade into all this other stuff. But that's a good point. But man, like 
cast a seven mana I want to see that sorcery happen. and you just say like I'm just going to cascade into everything if somebody oh. does that in a real game send me a picture on Twitter <laughs> alright we've still got the five elder dragons one for each of the colleges coming up but before we get into that we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're back. We're talking about the traditional commanders from the Strixhaven main set, and we are on to the most exciting part of our program, which is the new cycle of Elder Dragons. There's one, as you would expect, for each of the new colleges. Let's start with Quandrix here. DJ, you want to read it? I love the flavor of Elder Dragons yeah. leading leading these colleges. It feels... It feels good. And, you know, you got the Niv-Mizzet on Ravnica, and it feels like he's the, you know, the thing, like, looking over everything. And then you have all of these dragons uh, for the schools. It makes them feel, like, old and powerful. And playing with them is fun, because we're formerly known as EDH, Elder Dragon Highlander. That's correct. Uh, Tenazir Quandrix. Three green-blue for a 4-4 legendary Elder Dragon. Uh, He has flying, trample, and when he enters the battlefield, double the number of plus-one-plus-one counters on target creature you control. Whenever Tanazir Quandrix attacks, you may have the base power and toughness of each other creature you control become equal to Tanazir Quandrix's power and toughness until end of turn. Deep close skates kind of something, only for one-one counters. Yep. Or, sorry, only for... Yeah, yeah one more deep, We love Deep Logo Skate because it can hit like a Planeswalker right, and stuff right. like that. But so it, this is only doing plus one, plus one counters. But we know that Deep Glow Skate works in those plus one, plus one counter decks. We like we like them in those decks. Yep. So it does that thing. And so it's a plus one, plus one counter deck. Um, this is another known quantity, right? There are a lot of Simic plus one, plus one counter decks out there. So I'm going to rattle off some cards, but... Like New Vornclex, he doubles plus one, plus one counters on stuff. Hardened Scales, um, Pure and Toothy, that's a plus one, plus one counter deck. Uh, good cards would be like Fathom Mage, which draws you a card every time it gets a plus one, plus one counter. Gyre Sage, which taps for mana equal to the plus one, plus one counters on it. Rishkar makes everything with a plus one, plus one counter on it. Tap for mana. Master Biomancer, anything that comes into play will get plus, plus one, plus one counters. Voral of the Whole Clade, this is a card that doubles plus one, plus one counters on stuff. Um, Simic Ascendancy is an enchantment that basically says if you ever have, what is it, 100? Is it 100 or is no, it No, 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 that's it's Helix 20. Pinnacle. Yeah, it's 20 plus one, plus one counters on stuff, right? Yes. Uh, then you just win the game. It also puts plus one, plus one counters onto things. Hadana's Climb uh, slash Wing Temple of Orozca is one of those flip cards from Ixalan that cares about the size of a creature and doubles the size of it. So making Tanazir big like that will make it works with its second ability, which says, hey, everything's base power and toughness gets my base power and toughness. And if you can pump up Tanazir before that happens, you can make all your stuff like native eight eights or whatever. And usually plus one plus one counter decks will also be able to move those counters around. We'll be able to put more on. And so uh, Tanazir is not always going to be a four four. It could very easily get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, it's a 12 12. And now all my creatures are 12 12. Plus they have plus one plus one counter. So they're actually bigger than that. Yeah, this is a pretty straightforward deck in a known quantity, like I said. Um, not that it's not fun 
won't be exciting. It's just not that interesting. I don't you know, think there's a lot of you new mentioned Vorel. That's a legendary creature that doubles counters. Yeah, you know we we have that. Yeah, you it's know. it's it's cool. I I think those decks can be fun to play, but there's not a lot to add to the discussion here. Tanazir's just another face to that same I, deck. I do like that it uh, goes like kind of both directions. Sometimes plus one plus one counter synergies are like want to make a creature tall, like really mm. like a really big creature. Vorel doubling the counters makes it really big. Deep close gate. So that's something that makes a creature big. But then also this pump ability. Uh, rewards you for going wide as well. So again, I like it when uh, commanders can sort of take you in two different directions and let you choose or pivot depending mm, upon interesting. the game. Uh, you mentioned here that fractals and hydras and even uh, there's a there's a number of tokens that are technically zero zeros, but they enter the battlefield with a certain amount of plus one plus one counters on them. That actually works very well, Tanzir, not only for doubling the counters, but because their base power and toughness is zero zero. Uh, Tanazir is going to pump them by at least four. Yeah. And so that's a pretty big pump if you have a number of tokens. So. Like that Avenger of Zendikar play, you know, you have a bunch of plants and oh, you have yeah. plus one, plus one counters on them. You know, they're still scary, but then when you swing with your commander, they immediately get four bigger. So they're, f- yeah, so they're four fours, yeah. With plus one, plus one counters on it. So, so yeah, that, that other text is, is useful. All right. Let's go to the next one, which is the lore hold. It's Velomachus lore hold. Five... Red, white. So seven mana in Boros. I mean, lower hold. That's a, yeah, that's a hefty price. Okay. It's a 5-5 five, five with flying vigilance and haste. The haste very relevant here, as you'll see, because when Velomachus attacks, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value less than or equal to Velomachus's power from among them without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Okay, let's summarize. Velomachus attacks. It's natively a 5-5. Five, five. So you get to look at the top seven cards of your library, and if you see an instant or sorcery spell with five CMC or less, you can cast it without paying its mana cost. If you've pumped Velomachus somehow, you could do bigger spells than that, but... Five is still pretty good. Yeah, so you're going to get five CMC worth of an instant or sorcery. You can whiff, too. It just depends on how many instant or sorcerers you have, but for free, right? Yeah, it goes pretty deep. So if you've built your deck correctly, I don't expect you to whiff very often. Right. I think you still are going to want top deck manipulation, Sensei's Divining Top, Scroll Rack, Penance, which I talked about earlier, might be good. Um, Because you are going to want to sort of know what you hit or plant good things there, especially if you're going to be pumping Velomachus. Mm -hmm. You're not going to want to spend something that pumps Velomachus and not be able to hit a big spell. Um, So that seems good. The first thing I thought of when I saw this card was extra attack steps, extra combats, which actually turns out gets a little bit complicated with the way the rules with these work. I was thinking, oh, you just narset it, right? You'll just hit an extra combat step Mm -hmm. and then you'll just swing again and then you trigger Velomachus again and then you hit another extra combat step and you can kind of do that thing. But Velomachus triggers during combat which means you'll be casting this stuff at instant speed, which you are allowed to do. It it allows you to cast the spell. But the way extra combat steps are worded, uh, you you often can't use them. They don't do anything if you don't cast them during your main phase. Yeah, so let me read uh, an extra spell that works, and then I'll read an extra spell that doesn't work, and then I'll read the rules text that explains why. Uh, so World at War, this is one that works. Uh, it's three red, red for sorcery. And remember, even though you're in your combat phase, it works. Uh, after the first post-combat main phase this turn, there's an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase. At the beginning of that combat, untap all creatures that attack this turn. This also has rebound, okay? Uh, now let's read the one that, that just sounds like an extra turn or an extra combat phase, right? right? Um, it's, it's fine if you cast to- it at instant speed through Velomox's ability. Uh, and we'll go into it in a second. This next one 
if you cast it at instant speed through Velomachus's ability will not work. Yeah. So it's seize-, seize the day. Three and a red for a sorcery, untap target creature. After this main phase, there is an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase. So you notice that the difference is, is that they they kind of structure the turn differently where they say, well, after this main phase, you know, if you're casting this at instant speed, like the the spell doesn't have a way to way to figure out where it is, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, the spell um, says after this main phase, this is not the main phase. This is the attack step. Okay, I just don't work. Uh, so from the rules text, uh, so what happens in on Gatherer and on Scryfall, uh, there are a bunch of sort of rulings underneath uh, that can help you understand the card a little bit better. This is one of them. If somehow you cast Seize the Day during an opponent's main phase, uh, that opponent attacks, blah, 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 blah. Okay, if you somehow cast it not during a main phase at all, all that happens is you untap the target creature. Yeah. Okay. So sometimes if you run across a tricky card, uh, looking it up online can give you some context about how it, how it works or um, why it works. So basically with this one, all you do is untap the creature because you're not in the right, you're not in the right phase for it to trigger correctly. I think the only ones that actually work are World at War and Savage Beating. Uh, that's what the internet has told me as well. Yeah, I saw that on Reddit. I didn't double check it though, so there might be one or two more that do work. You, you're really looking for that main phase clause mostly, uh, but double check because things like Seize the Day, like you said, but Relentless Assault, Fury of the Horde, those will not work with Velomachus the way you want them to. You can still cast them if you have them in hand and that will do what you want, but if you hit them off Velomachus' trigger, that won't happen because you're in the attack step when you need to cast it. Yeah, this um, is just, I, I'm... Glad that you're listening to this. This is just tricky, honestly. Yeah. Like even for like we play a lot, we know the rules, but because even like World at War mentions main phases, you know, after this post combat main phase, there's yeah. an initial combat phase after this phase, so it feels like they should work. Just trust the rules text in here. Okay. Um, so extra combat steps aren't the only thing you can do, though. I think you know one of the best cards in any Boros Lorehold deck is Sunforger going to be very good in this deck because you're going to have a lot of uh, thing, a lot of targets for it. Pumping that power. How often do you think you want to pump the power and cast something bigger? Probably not super off, uh, often, right? Because there's Five one more hoop more. to get through after yeah. casting a seven drop. But still, Sunforger, I think, is good for other reasons. So it is a good way to pump the power and to be like, oh, I can go find you know, other things like Teferi's protection or protection, whatever when I need yeah. to lapse of certainties. And you just described a card that did plus four plus O and I was like, Oh, nine drops. What yeah. nine drops can I cast? <laughs> There's not very many, right. That you're going to be even be able to hit, uh, in these colors. Yeah. I think fork spells will be quite good here because one of the things I want to do is if I hit something off Velomachus, I want to be able to get additional value off of it. And a fork spell can be like, Oh, I hit a, a five CMC spell or an extra, com- one of those extra combats that works. Can I go ahead and fork that? And then, you know, do some stuff or maybe not an extra combat, but anything that you get because you're getting five CMC of value out of two CMC if you fork it like that. So yeah, that's a way I would try and take advantage of it. Um, also, just board wipes that that Velomachus dodges. So like Tragic Arrogance slash the ranks. Um, those Tragic Arrogance allows you to pick sort of which things live through the board wipe. And so you can obviously pick your Velomachus. Yeah, you get to pick your best ones that survive and you get to pick the worst ones on your opponent's battlefield. It is an underappreciated board wipe, honestly. And that's a really good hit off Velomachus' trigger. Uh, you put Cataclysm down. I mean, it's a thing that people are talking about. It's a board wipe that lets you keep your go ahead, go ahead dragon. Uh, two white white for a sorcery. Each player chooses from among the permanents. He or she controls an artifact, a creature, an enchantment, and a land, then sacrifices the rest. 
So you get one creature, one artifact, one enchantment, and one land by the time Cataclysm is over. Obviously, this is actually quite good with Velomachus, and we see this in Atali decks, because if, as long as you keep your Velomachus around, you're, while everybody's rebuilding, you're attacking with your dragon and getting free stuff off of your, um, off the top of your library. Uh, so I think, you know, if you want to get mean with it, Mass Land Destruction is going to be quite good with Velomachus, because we've just seen it with Atali, and this is kind of a similar setup. Yeah. Also, you can, if you have Sunforger and other things, you could have your Boros Charm, your Teferi protection your cosmic interventions ready for when you hit those cataclysms and things like that that you can maybe save some of your board depending obviously boris charm doesn't work with cataclysm specifically but that kind of thing yeah so all right i'm, I'm gonna give a warning though because velomachus a lot of people are excited about it and it looks cool and i think it is cool but here's the issue it has haste everyone knows it's gonna have haste they know it costs seven mana so it's gonna be pretty telegraphed and if you're playing against me or dj or people that have played a lot what are we gonna be doing holding up mana yeah, we're going to know. It's likely coming out next turn. I'm just going to keep my one white mana open or my counterspell open or whatever. Or, we know I, you built your deck around it. Yeah. Like, we know that this is in there. Uh, and honestly, it's like Narset plays around this a little bit differently with the Hexproof. Velomachus is even more telegraphed and even more vulnerable, even though it has haste. Yeah, and we've just learned that cards like this, often you just can't let them swing a single time. Um even Atali can be like that. Because We've played what against Atali decks that have that mean land destruction stuff. You can't let Atali swing a single time. You are, but, and the thing is that you become the arch enemy before it even happens where, you know, they're ramping and you're, you look at the table and you're like, all right, who's, who's got this? Let's take turns. And literally they all work against you to never let the Atali stick. Yeah. So just be careful. I think that could be a definite downside. And that would have you be frustrated, I think, if yeah. you built this whole deck around this trigger and just you had three people working against you getting that trigger. But they're incentivized to do it. They can see it in the command zone. It's telegraphed. So just be careful is all I'm saying. Uh, if Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to the next Elder Dragon, which is Shadrick's Silver Quill. All right. Let's get political. Ooh, love it. Three white red. Sorry. Three white black. What am I talking about? Three white black. For a 2-5, a legendary Elder Dragon has flying and double strike. It's really kind of like a 4-5. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may choose two of the following. Each mode must target a different player. All right. Here's your three choices. Target player gets a 2-1 white and black inkling creature token of flying. Target creature plays, uh, draws a card. Sorry. Target player draws a card and loses one life. Or target player puts a 1-1 counter on each creature they control. So those are the three modes, and you can choose yourself for one, but you have to choose your opponents for the other one. It's either make a 2-1 flyer, draw a card, lose a life, or put a 1-1 counter on each creature that player controls. So whenever the beginning of combat on your turn happens, you don't even it's not swinging with Shadrix. Even yeah, Shadrix doesn't swing. great. This trigger goes on the stack. It will be impossible for you at that point to not help one of your opponents in some way. How big of a downside is that? Unless your opponents don't have a board. If there's some opponents that don't have any creatures, um, Josh. You obviously you, choose that one. And have think, some plus one plus one yeah, counters. Put a plus one plus one <laughs> counter on all of your creatures. Uh, so we have your- to we have to figure out what the down what the downside is because you can choose not to do this. Um, yeah, you can yeah. choose not to do it at all, right? Yes, you can choose it not says to do it. You may at all. choose two, but you don't have the opportunity to choose one. You do not have the opportunity to choose one. So it's yeah. two or nothing. Yeah. Uh, and so you have to feel like, well, what is it doing for me? Like drawing a card is is pretty good. I like to draw a card. Um, and I think that the thing that's the least impactful, you know, is gonna be that two one inkling. Um, you can occasionally just throw out a couple of plus one plus one counters, and that doesn't that can be really minimal, but an inkling is kind of a dinky little creature. 
it's still worth a card though. Like that's a good, it's a two, one inkling is still pretty good. It blocks Shadrick's, uh, it can get bigger. Like it's still advantage. Yeah, um, two, one flyer, I would say is in commanders right on the edge of the value of a full card. Cause we've seen it's this probably with the, like 75% of a card, right? Yeah. So we've seen this with like, um, the two, two flyer, um, one blue mana counter target. Yeah. Swan song. Swan song. There we yeah. go. Uh, where we've been fine with giving them the swan, you know, but, it's kind of been relevant sometimes. Like it's, it still is like on the edge of being relevant. Do you know what I mean? I mean, usually you're stopping something so big that you don't care because the disparity there is big. Exactly. But just like every but, like, turn the giving body, somebody yeah. a, two, a two power flyer, that's yeah. a different, I think that's a different realm than Swan Song. It is. Or yeah. giving them, or giving them a card. One thing that does make this worthwhile is that if you can uh, set up deals, yeah. Josh, I'll give you an inkling. You can never attack me with that inkling. Yeah. Would you take that deal? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Wait, you're like, okay, I'll take, I'll yeah, take that's the deal. I'm Sorry. Like, Even if, I attack you, if I attack you, you can block with it for sure, but you just can never attack me with it. Yeah. Till the end of the game. I'm sorry. Yeah. Till the end of the game. Yeah. Would you yeah. rather have it or not? Or would you rather that Jimmy has it? Jimmy would take that deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, I think you can make all kinds of deals like that. Like, hey, I'll give you plus one, plus one counters on all your creatures. Maybe they only have two or three, but you know, you don't attack me for two turns with them. Something like that. You'd probably take that deal too. Probably. It just depends on the board state and everything. But Especially I think, if I have a two, five double striking blocker. Yeah. I think this, it looks worse than it is when you it, until you consider that you can use it as leverage. You have the ability to choose A, whether you do it at all, and B, which player it is. And if you if DJ says no, you just can go to the next person, right? So they are almost incentivized to take a deal so that you don't... Because it's net disadvantage for the two players that get nothing. Yes. So you want to be one of the players that at least get something if you're not in control of Shadrix. In political decks, if you can make sure that that resource is not used against you, then you've gone up that that resource is good for you. Yeah, because now it's working actually in in your favor, right? If you give a 2-1 inkling to DJ uh, and he's not allowed to use it against you, then it's probably going to be pointed at one of your opponents, which is almost like you having it because what were you going to do with it? Probably attack your opponent. Yeah. Yeah. I also think you can sort of try and make the upside a downside for your opponent. So you can make it so that big creatures are not that great. So you can play things like Meek Stone, or Dust Till Dawn, Fell the Mighty, Retribution of the Meek. Um, those last three are all board wipes that care about. They only kill the larger creatures. Mm -hmm. uh, Meek Stone makes it so large creatures can't untap. Austere Command lets you choose large or small creatures and destroy, you know, just one side of that. CMC, so that works with the Inklings, for example. Oh, yeah, CMC, sorry. So, for example, yeah. like, you can just toss out a bunch of Inklings. Everyone has Inklings, and then you Austere Command all the Inklings away, but keep your dragon. Yep. You know. Uh, Thief of Blood steals counters off stuff, so you could be, be like... dangerous in this deck, because it is good to put your own plus one, plus one counters on your own side. I think that could be a really powerful uh, effect for you to use, is to pump your own team, especially when you have you just a, don't play your Thief of Blood. Yeah, you're right. You'll know when your board has a million one-one counters. You're not playing it. <laughs> no. But when you said, hey, I'm going to give you plus one, plus one counters. Just don't attack me with those for two turns or whatever, you know. And then you do that a couple times, maybe. I'll, I'll keep pumping them. You keep not attacking me. Deal. And then, <laughs> you know, it's getting... Boom. Yeah. Then you go, thief of blood. <laughs> I'm going to take all those counters away now. I never said anything about you keeping those counters <laughs> forever. That wasn't part of the deal. Um, I also think, like the stuff that controls where people are allowed to attack or who they're allowed to attack could be really good. So Mystic Barrier, they're only allowed to attack either left or right. Mm, and, so you just give them a bunch of stuff. You know, right? Well, you can't attack to the, your left, so I'm going to give it to my, the player to my right 
uh, the plus one plus one counters or the inkling, and they just literally can't choose to attack me while that's out. You've got um, ghostly prison, sphere of safety that are just kind of propaganda type effects. I really like. I really do like those effects and those. Um, I think that you might want to pick and choose some of that because you can get that effect politically. Yeah. Uh, but it is really fun to just be like, nah, you can't. <laughs> like yeah. you don't need to politically wheel and deal. You're just like, no, nah, you can't. But here. You can't attack me, but have some inklings, have yeah. some plus one plus one counters. It's kind of a fun approach to it as well. Uh, and I think you could add token synergy to the deck. Skull Clamp's going to be really, really good, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to let you put plus one plus one counters, or even let you draw the card because I'm going to draw two off my inkling. Mm-hmm. Unknown Procession, Mentor of the Meek. These are token synergy cards that will work with the inklings. And they the do inklings. kind of synergize as well because if it works with the inklings, the inklings get even better when you're like, all right, now it's time to attack. Plus one, plus one counter on everything. Yeah. You know, now I'm attacking with three, two flyers. Yeah, you can have one inkling, but I'm going to give all my creatures <laughs> plus one, plus one. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then don't forget that Shatterix has double strike, so pump spells. Uh, I think the sword ofs are going to be really, really good with Shatterix because you hit twice, so you get two triggers. So f- sort of Feast and Famine, sort of Fire and Ice. These cards get really, really good because now you're like drawing two cards, dealing four damage, making your opponents draw, uh, discard two cards, untapping your lands twice. Very, very good. And just hitting for a lot, right? Because Shatterix just naturally hits for a lot. Infect, again, might be really good with Shatterix because, you know, Tane Strike, that kills somebody, right? Oh, no, no, sorry. You need to take a strike and well, hang, sword. No, no, not really, because look, the first turn it comes into play, you play it, and uh, you say, I give my own creatures plus one, plus one. Oh, it's yeah. a th- three power. So it's going to hit for six. Then when it's your turn, you, again, before you, you again. can actually attack, you do it again. And now you take a strike. And then you take a strike, and that's ten. So that's four, five, ten, yep. So that could be a good way to just KO people out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I have to mention Infect because of Craig. He's probably <laughs> editing this and smiling right now. Uh so I want to note, Shadrix gets quite a bit worse as the number of players in the game dwindles. And once mm-hmm. you're down to only two players, Shadrix is not looking at even close to as good because there's no deals to be made. You have to give the other player, there's only one, well, something. But the da- I mean, the it- downside is that it's a four or a two, five double striking flying dragon. And you just don't choose the other modes. Right, right. But that's pretty bad because most commanders are better than that. You're right. Yeah, so it just get, it does get worse as the game goes on, and, and I don't know if that's really a downside. I think Shadrix is really, really cool, and I like the deck, and I think it's also one of those decks that my thought is, like, there is not a way to make a Shadrix deck that is a 10 out of 10 power level. So I like those. You can just build yeah. this as most powerful as you could possibly make it, and it probably is, like, maximum, like, an 8.5 or a 9. Because it's in black, you could find you could combo in other ways if you really wanted to, you know, yeah, but it's try really and not prove me wrong. It's but not, in general, yeah. if you build around Shadrix <laughs> at all, it's probably maximum an 8. Which I, I think is cool. Uh, DJ, you actually did a full deck tech on Shadrix on your channel, I did. Right? I'm a big fan of Shadrix. I love the adding those plus one, plus one counters, the political aspect of it. So um, I built a Shadrix deck, and it's it's fun. Check it out on the Jumbo Commander YouTube channel. Yeah, we'll put the uh, thumbnail up here, and we'll put the link in the show notes. So if you want to find how DJ built this full deck, go to his channel, check it out. By the way, uh, in the 99, imagine this in Doran, the Siege oh, Tower. yeah, because it hits for five, it's, it's it's ten, for boom. Five, double strike, boom, boom. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, let's talk about. We've got two to go. We're almost there. Um, <laughs> Belladros Witherbloom is five black green for a 4 4 legendary elder dragon with flying. At the beginning of each upkeep, create a 1 1 black and green pest creature token with when this creature dies, you gain one life. That's each upkeep? Each upkeep. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty good. Is that all there is? Uh, there's a little bit more. <laughs> Pay 10 life. There's more. Uh, untap all lands you control. Activate this ability only once each turn. Wow. 10 life sounds like a lot, 
but it's it's not what is that uh red card that lets you pay three life and get a red mana treasonous ogre yeah no yes okay that card's insane it's very good for 10 life you only get three mana crick how good is crick insane yes for 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 that amount you only get five mana yeah Belladros is almost always going to give you at least seven mana because you cast Belladros. Yes, it's so good. Right? For ten life. So it's already better than Treasonous Ogre and Kyrick, who are both like borderline broken CEDH level stuff. So Belladros, automatically just powerful without the token creation thing. That's just the pay ten life, which by the way, we're going to talk about the token creation very little because the pay ten life and untap your lands is the major part of this card and what makes it insane. And you're in green too, so you get to like put a bunch of extra lands into play well and also you've seen the the creating of the pests like you've seen this with uh tender shoot dryad yeah coma dragon brood mother you know and you know that token creation can be good um we don't need to talk about that because this other text just overshadows it so much yeah so like what could you do with a lot of mana and green and black i mean they've got already like two of the biggest game enders with X in their mana cost is Exsanguinate and Torment of Hailfire. I don't know if there's a card in the last couple of years I've died to more than Torment of Hailfire. It used to be Crater Hoof, but I yeah. feel like I don't die to Crater very much anymore, but I still die to Torment a lot. Yeah. But just because it's, okay. it's, yeah. So this is just a very easy, like, you cast Belladros. The very next turn, and in the most modest of scenarios, is a Torment of Hailfire for 13. Like that's that's usually going to be game over on it's turn eight. Crazy, yeah, and that's turn eight if you just only played one land per turn and blah blah blah. So, um, that's obviously the first thing I was thinking of. But also, do you notice that Beljo says activate this ability only once each turn, not your turn, each turn. You could kill yourself at one once around the table. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, good point. <laughs> but that means that you can always threaten to have answers available. So even if you don't want to pay the 10 life, only you know that. On DJ's turn, he's got to be thinking like, okay, well, Josh is, yeah, he's at 20. But if I do something that might win the game here, he can untap all of his stuff and he could have any answer in his hand. Like, you know, all right, uh, I guess I have to try to kill this dragon or else Josh is going to win. And then you're like, all right, pay 10 life, untap, heroic intervention. Yeah. You know. Or just, I'm going to do something, try and win before you do. Okay, yeah. pay 10 life, untap, removal spell. You know, cross and grip your thing. Whatever it is. Right. Uh, and so the the fact that you your opponents just always have to consider that option, even if you're like looking at your card, sweating it and being like, I don't want to pay the 10 life and I don't actually have anything. They don't know that. So it's just to your opponents, you virtually always have all your mana available on their turn. That's a really big thing, I think, um, that makes it's it very powerful. Than, it's bigger than people think, honestly. Yeah. Uh, it's actually uh, close to that... Um, um, the orrery effect, essentially, the Vidalcan yeah. orrery effect, yeah. where you you have a little bit more control over what's going on, the profit of Krufix effect, yep. where, you know, you have, if you have mana, you have things in your deck that can play at instant speed, uh, your opponents don't know how to interact with you, and you ha- are are on the button, kind of, and they are always have, have control. To, they might not do the optimal plays because they have to be a little tentative, mm-hmm. and that can make them just play suboptimally, which is to your advantage. Also, you can get around the once per turn thing. So once per turn only applies to this current Belladros permanent, but if you blink it or you reanimate it or you bounce it and replay it, it's a new permanent and can therefore be activated again. So team or Sabertooth seems like a really good way. Bounce it back to your hand, maybe replay it if you have a lot of lands on your table, if it's a mm-hmm. landfall deck. Maybe you've got 14 lands or so and you're just going to do this three or four times to get an extra like 12 mana 
that you something you do. Blink is even better because you don't have to recast Belgios from scratch. Yeah, uh, Blink's hard to come by in green and red and black though. But you know what's not hard to come by? Reanimation, and I think that's a really big one. Um, Nim Deathmantle is a card where you could untap all your lands, sacrifice Belgios, come back. You use the lands you untapped to put them in. D- to, to keep the Nim Deathmantle thing going, untap your lands over and over again a few times to just get up enough mana for a really, you know, Tormented of Hellfire for 13, sure, but what about Tormented of Hellfire for 40? That's game ending. Yeah. Uh, Exsanguinate, you mentioned, can get yeah. you some of that life back so that you can kind of sort of keep, keep going. going and stuff like that. There's a land, actually, that will um, reanimate Belladros. It's Journey to Eternity slash Atzal Cave of Eternity. Mm-hmm. And so Belladros can actually be untapping the thing that's bringing it back, which obviously gets kind of nuts now you have to have the life to keep that going but i don't think you actually have to untap your lands more than a couple of times it's such a powerful effect to double your mana for a single turn that um for 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 10 life for free because there's like doubling cube and other things that are still powerful marari's wake or whatever but like the fact that you can just do it you know to double that mana it's so powerful you can basically work to that that super big turn you know yeah, what i mean just before everybody else too. like yeah we talk about basically how uh, a lot of times there's this big turn where you do multiple things in a turn that push you over the edge that help you win a game and this gets you there because it gives you double the mana for that big turn um how big of a downside is it that this costs 7 mana to get going i don't think it's down much of a downside at all because it actually wants you to have a lot of lands in play and it's in green. So if it was in Boros, big downside. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot harder to get there and people are naturally packing interaction for your um, for your mana rocks and things like that. People don't play enough uh, or don't play basically any land destruction. They're not going to be able to stop you from getting to seven mana. Usually you can get there by turn five pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes earlier if you have a really good draw and, and that's in quick casual decks. And just with Rampant Gross and Cultivates, right? Usually turn five, you'll be ready to cast this thing. And turn six, you're, you have at least seven lands in play. And you already are like, on my turn six, I have 14 mana. That's like that's great. such a huge advantage over most decks. Um, I think also, here's some other ways to untap your stuff twice, right? You can double that trigger. You can copy that trigger. So Illusionist Bracers, or the Activated Ability, sorry. Um, Rings of Bright Hearth, Lithoform Engine. These are cards that will allow you to like... See that, you know, Activated Ability. You know, it's an Activated Ability. We're going to double that. So now I'm going to untap my lands, tap them real quick, and then untap them again. Yeah, because you can always tap your lands whenever. So for only 10 life, I untap all my lands twice, (laughs) which is nuts. Uh, And then there's also cards like, hey, do you want to untap your creatures too? Well, let's play Ashaya, Soul of the Wild, which turns all my creatures into lands. Uh, This is a really good... I mean, this is, this is mean, obviously, but Winter Orb would be really good in this deck. Nobody else gets to untap lands, but you can always yeah. pay 10 life to untap yours. Yeah, p- p- you can only untap... Uh, as long as Winter Orb is untapped, players can untap more than one land during their untap steps. You know, so they're all struggling underneath their, you know, this Winter Orb, and you're like, yes, you are leveraging life for your lands, but you're granting yourself so much, many extra turns and so much more mana that you can overwhelm your opponents. Yep, Uh as an aside, I thought Font of Agonies is quite good with Belladros because you put a counter on it for every time you for every life you pay, and then you can remove them. Mm. Uh, I think it's four or five to destroy creatures. So every time you pay the ten life, you can destroy two creatures for a couple of mana too. Okay, yeah, for so sure. That's pretty good. Let me ask you a question: Do you think mm-hmm. this? We haven't read one of them yet, but do you think this is the most powerful of the new Elder Dragons? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a run for your money because okay. I actually think that the next one, Galazeth Prismari is the most powerful. It is two blue red for a 3-4. Legendary Elder Dragon has flying. 
when Galazeth enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. Artifacts you control have tap, add one mana of any color, but spend this mana only to cast an instant or sorcery spell. So that treasure token, treasure token that Galazeth creates, you don't have to sack it for the mana. You can just tap it as long as Galazeth is in play. It turns the treasure token into a mana rock, basically. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, the fact that this is so cheap. Yeah. Four mana to get this dragon on the board and you essentially get one refunded for anything because the treasure can be used for anything, but you are incentivized to keep it around because it turns into like a mox for your instants and sorceries. That's crazy good. Yeah, remember the mana rocks uh, Galzeth creates or turns things into only you can use that mana for instants and sorceries. Yeah, think of the efficiency of this. A 3-4 flyer for four that creates a mana rock that you would probably pay two mana for. Because obviously you're building this deck with mostly instants and sorceries and then things that create treasure tokens or create artifacts that you're going to then tap. But a lot of instants and sorceries will create the, the artifacts that you can then tap as mana. So mm -hmm. it, you're going to be able to spend the mana from these artifacts on most cards in your deck. Uh, so in your deck, they are just straight up mana rocks. How good is Dockside Extortionist? Dockside Extortionist already. is already an insane card. The price tag on it is ridiculous, um, but it just gets even better because you just get to five, six mana rocks off of it. Like it's insane. Uh, Curse of Opulence, I think is quite good. Yeah. Because every time you attack and you've got a three, four flyer, you're going to make a treasure. Every time they attack that person, you're going to make treasure. They probably won't even use it because it's such an advantage for you, but that's that could also be good. My gosh. Um there's stuff like Goldspan Dragon, which is a new one. Goldspan Dragon I like a lot, yeah. too. Makes treasure, cares about treasure. Spell Swindle, I think, becomes really, Ooh. really good. It's a big counter spell, but it's it usually it wasn't it didn't turn out to be as good in the format as I thought, because holding five mana open for a counter spell and then you only counter a three drop is pretty bad. Yeah. Because you only get three three treasure. But if the three treasure are actually gonna sit around the battlefield forever and just tap for mana every turn, then that's a different thing. Because now you're saying Five mana counter your spell and create three arcane signets. How about Brass's, Brass's Bounty? Mm -hmm. uh, six and a red for a sorcery for each land you control, create a colorless treasure token. So you can just like... Boom, cast that and immediately use that mana without sacrificing the treasure. So you're actually up the mana forever now. Yeah. Forever. It doesn't have to be treasure though. Think of Togo or... Yeah, Togo. 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 Makes the rocks every time you play a land. Oh my gosh. Rocks that can tap their mana rocks, right? Trail of Evidence. Every time you cast an instant or sorcery, you make a clue. Wow. Clues can be tapped for mana. Also could be uh, sacrificed to draw cards, but I think if they're mana rocks, you probably keep them around. Tamio's Journal creates a clue every single upkeep. Um, turn into a pumpkin is a bounce spell where you draw a card, but it makes a food creature token. That I think that becomes playable, even though it's four mana, because when you tack, make a mana rock onto an instant that has an effect on the game, I was, I had a question. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned these two cards. So, cause I was trying to figure out like how, how much does this change the evaluation on cards that we would normally never even think about? So we've got press for answers and Jace's scrutiny. Yeah. Press for answers is one of blue for a sorcery tap target creature. It doesn't untap during its controllers. Next untap step investigate. So make a clue, which is an artifact. And then what's uh, uh, Jace's scrutiny, scrutiny is one in a blue for an instant target creature gets minus four minus O until end of turn investigate. So normally these cards are not good because Bad. the effect is expensive, but then you essentially tack on a uh, draw pay card draw. for dr pay to draw card, you know, uh, 
And so, but now it's like, well, two mana mana rocks. We play those all the time. We love them. Instant speed mana rock. And it does like blink and attack, tap down a creature. Like ah. it's a two mana mana rock that also like does and something. And you can use the other rocks for it. It's not like it's a permanent that does it. Like you're like, oh, I need to pay real mana for this uh, creature or this planeswalker. No, it's like a, it's an instant or sorcery. So you can tap other rocks to create more rocks. Yeah. I don't know where the line is and if those two cards are actually playable, but that's it's an interesting thought it's experiment. The line's somewhere around there, you know? So it's it's pretty interesting. Um, so Sahili, Sublime Artificer, Metallurgic Summonings, these both make tokens when you cast instant sorceries or non-creature spells. Yeah, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a, this is Sahili, Sublime Artificer. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 colorless servo artifact creature token, and you can minus two target artifact you control becomes a copy of another target artifact or creature you control until end of turn. You really just care about those servos because they are mana rocks that tap for your instants and sorceries. Metallurgic summoning is very similar. I, uh, I put down, don't forget Storm the Vault, which is... Uh, Ooh, Storm the Vault. You need to... I, I, we were excited about that card where we're like, this is going in decks. This is so cool. And it then, has to literally be a blue-red artifact deck. And there turns out there aren't a ton of them. But in those decks, it, it has been really, really good. And this yeah. is a deck that is that. Um, but then let's... For, like, we're only talking about tokens, right? Clues, food, yeah. treasure. yeah. You know what else is good? Just a zero mana equipment like Bonesaw. Are Moxen good? I mean, yeah. So imagine you play Galzeth and you just be like Bonesaw, Cathar Shield, Spider Silk Net. The Bobbles. Yeah, tap those three things, cast some instant or sorcery. Like that's, like Moxen are just good. So Cheerios type spells, spells that, uh, artifacts that cost zero mana, I think are quite good in this deck. You are going to have to, one thing that's interesting is because you mentioned instants and sorceries that also make the, the yeah. things, uh, the zero mana mana rocks are pretty interesting. Uh, they cost you no mana though. So it doesn't, you don't really care that your mana rocks don't tap for them. Cause you never yeah. have to like, you you were never planning to cast exactly. spend mana on them to begin with. Yeah. Uh, I think something like howling mine is really good. So howling mine very is, good. Yeah, because when it's tapped, it doesn't actually do its thing. So what you get to do is draw a card on your turn, but nobody else gets to draw the extra card. So now it's a two mana for Exiting Arena that doesn't cost you life. I mean, we mentioned Winter Orb. Yes, uh, oh God. Because when, when Winter Orb's tapped, it doesn't do its thing either. So you tap it on the end step before your turn, you untap all your lands, but everybody else, it's untapped for, and they only get to untap one of their lands on their turn. Uh, some of these cards are are having me think of uh, of, of an equivalent of uh, Urza. Yeah. Uh, and Urza is a busted card, right? Yeah. And I think Galazeth is a little less... It is not. I do not think it's powerful as powerful as Urza. Powerful than Urza. But Urza is a CADH card uh, because only for the fact that Urza also has a way to use all the man you're creating on Urza. Mm-hmm. But Galazeth can go in a similar direction and be close to as powerful because you are adding red. Um, and I think Galazeth... And Urza is often built as a stacks commander, and Galazeth is also going to be good as a stacks commander. Winter Orb, Static Orb, Trinisphere, Torpor Orb. These are all going to be really good with Galazeth. This is a mean way to go, you know, obviously, but you could do it if you want a very powerful deck. Mass Land Destruction would be good with Galazeth because all your artifacts are rocks. So you're going to get to keep doing stuff while everybody else is severely hampered if you cast a Mass Land Destruction spell. So I think Galazeth... If you built it at the tippy top, my guess is it's a little better than Belgios. It might be close though, um, but just because of what I've seen Urza do, and this can do some, you know, very similar things, it, it's yeah. up there. Yeah. I think that um, basically, in my mind, they were both cast the big instants and sorceries. Yeah, kind of, you know what I mean. Uh, and then, but I think that that you made a good point that uh, Galadrex uh, might be able to do it faster. And then also, when as soon as you add that disruption in there. 
the disruption beats out the ramp because the green had the ramp to be able to be like, well, I can go bigger. You know what right. I mean? And it's much more protected. I'm not going to lose to a vandal blast or something like that. But as soon as you add the disruption in, then suddenly you're you're getting to another level. Yeah, I think Alzheimer's will get out there faster and then be able to control the other scary things easier and, and just get to its win. Um, either way, we usually ask at the end of things, what are the most powerful new commanders? Um, it's either Belagos or Galazeth, but I'm going to vote Galazeth, but it, it's close, I think. I think it is close. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite new commander from, new traditional commander from Strixhaven? My favorite is still going to be Shadrix. When I saw how political it could be, uh, that's the kind of card that I like. Uh, I like... I like playing games of commander where I'm interacting with my opponents. Some of the Boros commanders are very, very cool, but sometimes it can feel like I'm going to do this, 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 and yeah. you're not interacting as much. So I really like that with, when you play Shadricks, you got to be like, all right, who wants to wheel and deal? That's the aspect of commander. I like that's why I play it. And so a uh, commander that leans into it is my favorite. I think I'm going to say Hoffrey. I'm kind of excited. Um, I think that it's just cool to sort of, I think there's a lot of cool things you're going to be able to do with it as far as like just creating token copies. And I like the idea of threaten effect dot deck. That sounds fun to me. It feels new, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it definitely feels new. Like Shadrix, it's not, it's political, but it's not, nothing is new there. You know right. what I mean? Uh, there'll be big, some new stuff, but yeah, yeah. Big dragon smash, you know yeah. what I mean? Counters, inklings, whatever. We've seen all that stuff before. Some of the lines in Hoffrey are going to be new lines. Yeah, and like I'm not playing a bunch of threatened effects in any deck right now, so yeah. that feels like like oh we don't have a Brian Stoudern deck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Do you know one thing that I forgot to mention? Whenever oh, yeah. I, whenever I see a dragon, I always imagine um, the Ur dragon right. making it cost one less. Could you imagine this costing three and then making Galazeth? Yeah. Galazeth, like, Although I just it think won't be good in that deck because that treasure token, I guess it makes a no, treasure. Just like, honestly, a three. It's just a three, four dragon, it's so it's worth three, it. three, four dragon for three that, that gives you another gives you mana to ramp into a five mana dragon the next turn. That's actually a good point. It's, it's three crazy. mana, but it's virtually two because you get the, the rebate on the treasure. So the treasure token, you just use it as a treasure token. You don't care about the rest of Galazeth's yeah. tech. Dragons are so big. The treasure token is really great because it can get you into another bigger batter dragon yeah. next turn. Like one turn earlier. Or one dragon. turn earlier. So just this comes and how many three mana like you have to really pay attention to dragons that are less than five mana in that kind of deck because there's very few yeah yeah because like five you're glutted at five six has a lot of them too and so the fact that you can play this on three and then on turn four be able to cast a five a six drop yeah and and also has cool play patterns where you're like if you mana rock on turn two or rampant growth or something on turn three you actually might have two mana with the treasure to do something else and double spell on turn uh keep all the rocks and then dragon storm <laughs> All right, to the listeners, what is your favorite traditional commander that we just talked about today? Is it one of the Elder Dragons? Is it one of the Uncommons or something like that? Which of these decks are you planning on building? Is it We'd Cody? Love is it Cody? The paper. Cody's pretty cool. <laughs> I think Quintorius is also cool. There's a number of cool ones. Um, Mavindi, we talked about at the beginning. Mavinda, sorry. Yeah. Um, a lot of cool stuff. If you want to get your hands on any of these cards, cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That's the place to go to order your magic singles, product, anything at all. You know, we didn't talk about the commander products on this episode but it is there you've probably seen it heard of it watch our deck reveals our budget upgrades you're going to want stuff from the main set stuff from the commander product cardkingdom.com slash command zone that's the place to go to order all of your magic product because they're going to get it to you the fastest and in the best condition and then once you get your hands on that stuff you do want to protect it you want to keep it safe you want to make sure that it doesn't get dinged up retains its value ultra pro products are really the products that Jimmy and I trust our own personal collections to. We've got all our stuff sleeved up in Eclipse sleeves or else in themed sleeves with uh, cool printed, uh, I don't know, 
printed uh, stuff from the latest set. I don't I don't think I have any of my decks in the um, Strixhaven stuff yet, but I do have a lot of like guild themed like is it mm-hmm. I have an is it deck in the is it sleeves. I probably will want a Lorehold deck in Lorehold sleeves, uh, that kind of thing. And Ultra Pro always has the license agreements to have all the cool art and things like that from Magic. So you can really theme out your battlefield. It is some of the best art. Magic does a great job at their art and the fact that you can have that big across your play of your play mat on your table on your deck is awesome uh all right no end step today because this is already a long episode and we have so many episodes that have been coming out we're still covering all the rest of the stuff we're going to talk about every card uh every new card from the commander product we're going to talk about the cards that go in your 99 from the Strixhaven main set there's still a lot to go so make sure you hit that subscribe button hit the little bell so that you know when all our videos come out also there's a a game nights episode that i believe when you're watching this has not come out yet but is Ooh. coming out soon so that's very very exciting um all right. Big thanks to our editing, graphics, and logistics team, which is Manson Lung, Craig Blanchett, Ashlyn Rose, Lady Danger, Alfred Estaka, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Patrick Nan, Jordan Pridgen, Arthur Meadowcroft, Sam Waldo, and Gaurav Galati. Gaurav's new. So give Gaurav a good, nice shout out. He's joining the team and helping us out because we're creating so much content. And uh, DJ, where can everybody find you? You can find me on YouTube as well. Uh, Jumbo Commander YouTube channel, Deck Techs all sorts of awesome content. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Jumbo Commander. And you're also going to be able to find DJ sitting right here for uh, a number of weeks because he really is helping us out with all this extra content. Appreciate having you here, DJ. I know the audience response has been good as always. Oh, and uh, special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the living card animations that begin our episodes and often sit behind us here on set. This is Thousand Year Storm, also done by Jeffrey. You can find him on Twitter at LivingCardsMTG. All right, that's it for this one. We'll see you all very soon. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye, everyone. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com. Or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>